0: Hi, I'm Can Sweeney. This is the comfortable spot.
1: Welcome.
0: Today. I'm joined by Michael Palmer. Originally from Newton Ards in Northern Ireland, Michael is a liberally-minded unionist and a member of the LGBT community. Michael is also an active member of the Ulster Unionist Party. I came across Michael on Twitter and admired his courage in standing up against the many ultra-conservative factions in Northern Ireland who would see his views very negatively. I was keen to have him as a guest, and I was interested in hearing his views on the future of Northern Ireland, and more importantly, in listening to Michael away from the political sphere. So I hope you're sitting comfortably. And happy to stay with us. Michael, hi, how are you? Thank you for joining me today on The Comfortable Spot.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Brilliant. I'm really glad that you took the time to talk to me today because I've been following you on Twitter for a while and I was kind of looking for the opportunity to talk because what really caught my eye was um, a recent tweet that you put out. And I sat there and I said to myself, that's a a great tweet. Uh, It was on August 21st. I'm sure you know the one I'm talking about. And maybe if you're happy with it, I can just read read the first section of it. Because what it said was, I have for many years, nearly a decade, said unionism needs to modernize and reach out. I know what to do to do that, although I do need to be supported in doing that. If others want to block reform, then that's up to them. I'm worried about that poll, but it's not destiny. Now, we're talking about a poll recently that came out before that. We can probably go into that a little bit later. But I thought that was a brilliant tweet, and it was very brave of you, because... Although you are um, in the Unionist Party, the UUP, uh, you are LGBT. You're a big supporter of that. And um, I just think it's really brave of you. And I'm wondering, did were you thinking about that for a while? Was that something that you wanted to do? Were you waiting for the right moment? Because I'm not sure what you think of that tweet, but I think it was quite prolific. I think it was a something that should be kind of looked at in more detail and and taken more seriously. So I'm wondering what you thought. Did you take time to write that? Was there a moment you were picking or was it just something you did on the spur of the moment?
2: It was something I just did spontaneously. Uh, I didn't put an awful lot of thought into it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just sort of thought, it probably reflects my own frustrations because I'm seeing uh, unionism losing to nationalism. I think we lost our uh, four seats. Mm -hmm. They... At the last election, anyway, and then of course we're going down the polls. So uh, DUP, TV and all the rest of them—you know—we all need to really uh, get our act uh, together uh, because if we don't, then there could be problems ahead. But I also think just performing news in general, as you mentioned uh, on LGBT, you know, it's crazy. I mean. <laughs> You still have unison that's sort of behind times now. And personally, uh, I'd like Unism to come on board. And uh, recently, I invited the DEP to Belfast Pride. Now, in fairness, uh, Lord Trimble had passed away. Mm-hmm. So that might have been what that might have played into. But, you know, I would love to see the DEP uh, at Pride someday.
0: Yeah, let's get it into perspective, I suppose, for maybe our overseas list listeners, because I do have a few people across the world who listen to the podcast. I mean, in the situation in Northern Ireland is that there is a, you know, um, An A and B sides—that's the way we call it. We have people who are of a nationalist side, and then we have people of a unionist side. And the simple consensus is: people on the nationalist side see Ireland as a united nation, and that's what they want to go for. And people on the unionist side—they view the idea that uh, Northern Ireland is a part of the the United Kingdom and it should stay like that. So that's that's a simple notion of it. But where when it comes down to the politics, there is a couple of different unionist parties, and currently at the moment, the, the DUP, which are the Democratic Unionist Party, they're kind of the the, the largest party, I might say, in Northern Ireland. And then you have your party, the UUP. It's difficult, isn't it, for you when you're dealing with a party that's quite strong, but has very conservative viewers. And is it a case that the DUP needs to change in, its, in that way, but it, it doesn't need to change in all ways? Because I think that's the pressure sometimes that unionists feel they're under, isn't it? In that they're, they're kind of being forced to change everything.
2: So I think the changes are actually happening societally. So even hmm. within the Unionist electorate, the majority of the Unionist electorate would be socially liberal, but yet they vote for a socially conservative party. So uh, why they don't vote for the EUP, I could probably write a book on it, but uh, certainly for me, it's all about trying to uh, just get the Unionist parties, both of them, to be more reflective of society. So in my own party, I mean, going back the DP, my own party doesn't have any women currently in the Assembly, and that's something we do need to address, and we need to address... Obviously, we need more young units. We need more uh, LGBT. Uh, in terms of the DEP, the DEP, yes, they're socially conservative. And there are people who hold conservative views and they should be respected. But I think the D P should really move to making those matters an issue of conscience so that it can have its more liberal wing represented.
0: Well, I mean, isn't it a little bit weird because they're kind of de- denying themselves the opportunity to get new voters?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, it's very strange because those voters are going to the Alliance party. They're going to the Green party. So that's what's happening. That's why Alliance uh, went up there two percentage points because they're, you know, anyone who votes Alliance, they tend to be LGBT, they tend to be you know, from a mixed background or whatever. So the world's changing and news needs to change with it.
0: Yeah. And of course, the Alliance Party are kind of a centre party, isn't he? They're not neither nationalist or or unionist. Am I correct in assuming that?
2: Uh Yes. So uh historically, they would have been seen as more pro-union. But nowadays, they're very centrist. I would actually say they're going more towards the SDLP direction. Right.
0: Because uh, obviously,
2: they've, they've saturated maybe in the unionist areas, but they're now wanting to expand west. They're wanting to try and even, you know, They've, they've obviously done damage to the DEP and UUP, people. now they don't want to try and do damage to Sinn Féin, so they want to be taking even, who knows, Sinn Féin seats. So I think even Sinn Féin would be worried about the Alliance Party.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, they, they, this is the thing, isn't it? The centre parties always eat into a left or right parties when it comes to elections. But I want to just go back, because we, we're obviously going to talk about this all the way through the conversation, and that's brilliant. But I want to go back to yourself, your own your own life, and growing up in Northern Ireland. You know, looking back on your childhood, you, you're you not originally from Belfast, am I, am I right? Because everybody thinks everybody from Northern Ireland is from Belfast. Belfast
2: <laughs> uh, my family's from Belfast but no I'm from Newton Ards <laughs> yeah
0: and maybe you can tell somebody people where Newton Ards is in Northern Ireland so is it north south east or west Newton Ards is south of Belfast southeast. <laughs> so life for you was it a small town I mean did did it did, was it a happy childhood
2: uh, my childhood probably wouldn't be happy no I'm sorry to say mm-hmm. uh I suppose Newtland should be, it's probably uh, it's probably one of the larger towns in Northern Ireland, but maybe, I think maybe it has thirty thousand people now. Uh, but no, I wouldn't say my childhood who was that happy. I mean, my, my, my dad died from alcoholism when I was eight. Oh. And uh, obviously, I, you know, obviously I'm gay as well, so that didn't help things with school and things. So I was closeted French school. I was closeted, even mini june universally. Uh, Northern Ireland's obviously seen as more conservative uh, back then. And even back then, you know, 10 years ago, the DEP would have been a lot more... Uh, they would have been a lot more open about their views while nowadays it's sort of frowned upon to be expressing any anti-LGBT views but they are changing thankfully but no, my childhood was quite hard I sort of didn't really fit in if anyone I spent most of my days playing video games and keeping to myself but thankfully I'm changing from that I am more sociable these days <laughs> Well I mean look it's
0: a brave step for anybody to do that in any society so I mean if you're going to do it for in a society that's overly conservative it's, 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 I can only applaud you on that but I know you get into weightlifting a lot and I'm wondering did that, did that help you to kind of, you know, take your mind off the troubled childhood that you were probably having?
2: Um, I suppose it did. I suppose I got into weightlifting. I mean, back when I was a teenager, I was not sporty at all. Mm. And me and sports didn't mix. But I got into weightlifting because uh, I reached 14.8, so I did. And I think as age was, I was mid-20s, so I sort of realized, look, we've got to lose this weight and uh so i did that i lost i went down all the way to about uh, 11 stone 10 pounds Uh, i've put on weight thanks to a lockdown so i'm trying to obviously work on that but that's how i got into it just to you know try and get the weight off and be healthier
0: (laughs) do you compete at all or is it just something that you do as a pastime
2: uh so i actually did think about competing but i think to compete you unfortunately to compete you'd really have to put on weight it's just part of muscle uh so if you're going to be competing you have to eat you know a calorie surplus and all that type of thing so I'd rather just remain slim because once you put the weight on it's hard to get it off you
0: know All right, I didn't know that so there's no actually. so it's not like boxing is it there's no lightweight lifters and stuff like that is Is that is that usually I'll, the way it works
2: it'll be more barbell I do more barbell dumbbell uh, I actually would like to get into boxing but I need to buy boxing gloves first <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I tell you I wouldn't, I wouldn't envy you trying that now because I had me. I had me <laughs> my, my one and only stint in boxing for a day in a boxing club and I swear to god I'd never go near it again and I'm even traumatised watching in a boxing match at the end of it all <laughs> so so well done if you're going to do that boxer, boxer <laughs> size I think is probably the nice alternative boxer on that size, one yes that works <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did you go to university uh,
2: yes I went to university that was after I went to I uh, suppose one of the, the lowest ranking schools in Northern Ireland so it was a very tough school and I think they did well and then went to a grammar school at grammar school uh, you know compared to a state school at grammar school the grammar schools are a lot lot better and that's just the way it is <laughs> in Northern Ireland and then uh, basically yes after that I went to university and studied politics
0: politics how did that work out? I mean, was it Queen's University, Belfast?
2: University of Ulster, so I wasn't smart enough to get into Queen's but yeah, <laughs> yeah. of Ulster.
0: And that's just me showing my complete ignorance, I mean I get into trouble all the time with my wife about this because I don't even know half the universities in Ireland. So studying politics, I mean did you find that it was an eye-opener or was it just the same old, same old sort of thing? Did you come out of university having a broader sense of how politics work? Uh,
2: so I think of politics, I chose politics because I got into politics largely because I realised I was LGBT and then I Sort of identify with LGBT issues so that's how it all started. Brilliant. Uh, I, was actually, I was actually originally in the alliance party as well so uh, I obviously then realized later on that you know there's more to politics LGBT issues so there's unionism there's economics so then I sort of identified more of the the uh, I came out of university largely yeah I mean it, it helped me I mean I, I, I love I love politics and still love politics now but in terms of politics degree for getting a job it's not that useful <laughs>
0: yeah unless you're looking for something within say uh, you know the backroom staff in a political party and stuff like that and that always has to mean that you kind of compromise yourself in so many ways doesn't it
2: oh yes and of course the UUP back 10 years ago was a lot better it's in a lot better shape nowadays you know, we're down to nine seats in the assembly so we do, we do need to try and sort this out try to you know, keep fighting trying to increase our representation somewhere
0: yeah and being lgbt i mean was there pressure on you say to leave northern ireland and maybe go somewhere where it would be more comfortable for you to express yourself did that thought ever come to you or did you always say to yourself
2: no i'm gonna stick this out here because this is my home so back when i was applying for university i applied for brighton university uh, purely for that reason just sort of go to lgbt land i suppose yeah. uh, but it wasn't successful so i went to uh, University of Austria And of course, I call it the University of Ulster. It's now Ulster University these days. And I mean, in the
0: university itself, would, would you have found that it was a more open place to be in?
2: It was more open, yes, I suppose. I find it quite strange, though, to be like, I, I, obviously, I, I, Newton is a unist majority. Well, not even a unist majority. It's the vast majority of Newton Arge is So I always sort of grew up with Union flags. So when I went to university, I was actually in the minority. I just sort of realised that quickly in the classroom. You have to sort of be careful with what you say. So uh, I, I, sort of, I sort of experienced being a minority in terms of obviously unism and nationalism because there are more Republicans in the classroom. So I had it and that's the first time I ever came in contact with Republicans. So I had to obviously learn how to, I suppose, work with them.
0: <laughs> and the funny thing is, like, I mean, I'm only speaking from personal experience. And I'm a bit older than you are. You know, they tend to say, you know, all oh, the unionists are very conservative. But, I mean, you come across plenty of uh, Republicans who are quite conservative in their thinking. So, I mean, when you talk about change for Northern Ireland, I think it's crazy that you're way of thinking is pushed away by the so-called hardliners and, and these hardliners exist in every single walk of life. When a country wants itself to become more open and a country wants to become more progressive it has to be progressive in every way, in its economics, in its society, in its culture and everything and do you still think that after all of the hassle over the last couple of years and I'm not going to ask you whether you voted for Breggs or not because upon a which I don't really care at this point I but, know, yeah, so but <laughs> what I mean is do you think that even after all the hassle that is happening do you think that Northern Ireland is moving
2: in the right direction I don't really think it is moving in the right direction. Uh, I think our social relations have really uh, deteriorated. Uh, I remember 10 years ago, was, you know, Peter Robinson, Martin McGuinness, and it was actually quite stable, even though back then it wasn't that stable. But uh, nowadays it's very unstable. Uh, there, there's, there's talk of violence, but I hope violence does not come back. We really don't want to see violence. And I think there's a lot of alienation within lawless humanism. I mean, we just don't feel, I suppose, represented. We feel as if we're being hard done by sadly that's a perception i would argue that you know we need to try and see the positives and we need to try and get out of that mindset but it's very difficult i mean you saw there uh, the tv got a huge amount of votes it didn't translate the seats but uh, unfortunately unism is harming in it's black and it's positioning you know
0: do you see potential in the young people on both sides that they're kind of going hang on a second i maybe saying what you were saying there that you know we need to step beyond the trolls and step beyond the hardliners and say to ourselves we have to work together do you see that happening in Northern Ireland? Is the young people behaving that way?
2: Uh, yes. I mean, the best example of it is pride. So Belfast pride there. Uh, there's unison Republicans marching together, and as great as so it was. And uh, certainly, you know, I would come into contact with them, obviously, because I'm LGBT, so I'm not going to start that nonsense with them, obviously. But uh, certainly, I mean, I would date a Republican in wouldn't me in the slightest. And uh, yes, yeah, certainly, I think uh, young people have moved ahead of the politicians. And I think that's why the Alliance Party is doing so well uh, through you know, the elections.
0: And it's funny, isn't it? Because maybe the rainbow flag is the only flag that in Northern Ireland people are willing to all stand around and fly. And it's, it's great in a sense because it's becoming a real flag of power and influence. And I suppose that's what the politicians are kind of missing the point a little bit on that. They're, they're kind of seeing it as a, as a hindrance rather than a resource.
2: Yes, I mean, certainly, within my own party. I've been in the UUP now for 10 years. I've been banging on and on about attending Pride and, you know, even that whole gay conversion for everything, uh, obviously, to get it banned. So, uh, you know, internally, I've been working on that. And we, the UUP did attend Pride, uh, obviously, before COVID and all. We didn't attend at this time because of Lord Trimble passing away. That's why we didn't attend. Yeah, that's, we that's do, understandable. We do want to reach out to the LGBT community. Mm-hmm.
0: And I suppose at the end of the day, um, as we've said here, it is a case of potential voters and potential members of the of uh, of the parties and I guess sometimes these parties they become so embroiled in their kind of manifesto that they don't really look at it in a sense the way other parties might that it's like a business and you've got to get new customers don't you and like really at the end of the day I think there's going to be more people than less people coming out in the LGBT community so I mean everywhere around the world you can see parties beginning to wake up on this idea and see it as a potential source of new of new rev- new revenue. Yeah, exactly, and new voters.
2: Yes, and I I think if the D P realise that there are liberal voices in the D P, but I think they're too afraid to take us to to even move to a conscience issue, which I think is reasonable. They should do that. They're too afraid. Cause they're maybe afraid of losing votes to the T V. So my own view is the D P probably want to handle the T V first, and then they'll probably get back to being a, more, a bit more liberal anyway. <laughs>
0: I mean, even the uh, DUP did have a LGBT candidate a couple of years ago, wasn't it? I think around twenty nineteen? They had um, I can't remember her name. Was it Alison Bennington, I
2: think. Bennington, bennington I yeah. Did was she elected as as in in that election? Uh, she was elected, yes. Uh, it, it, it obviously it annoyed some in the DUP. Jim Wells, uh, most focally, he was very vocal about that because he thought it was a change in the party. He's right; it is, the party is changing, but it wasn't change that he liked, and obviously. He's no longer in the DUP now. How do you look
0: at that? Say, you know, because you're involved in politics, even on the ground, especially in the most important part on the grassroots level. What was the perception of that generally in Northern Ireland?
2: Attitudes towards LGBT people? Yeah,
0: the fact that she was elected. I mean, what was the reaction from all sides? Was it it kind of a sense of, well, this has to stop. And then on the other side, people are saying it has to keep going.
2: I think it was mostly positive. There were people in the D E P. Uh, Jeffrey Dawson, in particular, he defended Alison Bennington and he yeah. was very I even sent him my thanks because I thought that was really good of him to do. And uh, there were other people who defended uh, Alison. So yeah, I mean, the D E P did defend. It was only obviously elements of the DP that maybe didn't like it. But no, it was mostly a positive move, and I think the D E P should be encouraged. And I think even the U U P. Should be encouraged to stand by LGBT candidates because that's how you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get these votes if you actually have people that you know look like look like them that you know actually are them because that's the only way you're gonna identify people, you know.
0: Well, I think if anything, the LGBT community across the world has a knack of cross cooperation. They have a knack of it. They've got plenty of experience in it, regardless of where it is. It doesn't matter if it's in Colombia in South America, China, or Northern Ireland. They have an excellent um, ability and experience to. Step across the, you know, the, the the room, as they say, and bring people together. And I mean, if you can get more people from that community into every single party in the world, that that sense of cooperation will build. Uh,
2: yes, I mean, ho- hopefully, I mean, the LGBT community. I suppose the big thing in the LGBT community is, is that apart from same-sex marriage, and um, it's it's. It's harder to come up with the issues now, I suppose. There is a lot of trans issues. And obviously, as I'm not trans myself, I don't want to be speaking on those because, you know, you could say the wrong thing. And likewise, it's for trans people to actually campaign on trans issues themselves. You know, it'll be like a... White right person speaking on behalf of a black person, you want to hear from black people on black rights, you
0: know? But I suppose at the end of the day, I mean, you know, these are issues that, again, you have to deal with because as, as more and more people become more confident and more free free to speak their minds, new avenues arise and you just deal with them as you go along. I, I mean, your perceptions of, say, the island of Ireland as a whole. I want to ask you about your future. Without having to say it, you would like to be still part of the UK. But in terms of, say, our relationship with us down here in Dublin and the Republic of Ireland and with the rest of Europe, I mean, what would you like to see? What would your future be and your perfect future be?
2: Uh, Well, (laughs) obviously, as part of the UK, I mean, in terms of Ireland, I mean, I'm I'm happy enough with, you know, the Republic of Ireland. That's fine. I see it as a different country. It is. I would see them as different people. I mean, they are because we have different views and things. But I mean, certainly I'm happy to cooperate with the Republic of Ireland and, uh I've been on holiday in, in, in Ireland and uh, certainly uh, it's a great place. i wouldn't mind visiting every single county in Ireland just to, <laughs> throughout my lifetime. And certainly, I mean, I have no form of the whole Irish thing, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, you'd be absolutely 100% welcome. I mean, I think, you know, our, our own tourist boards are united as one kind of tourist board, you know. And I, I, I can't count the amount of times I've been up to Northern Ireland on weekends away whether it be you know all the way up to Rattlin Island or or you know just going through to say to Donegal I mean when we were going through to Donegal when I lived in Dublin it was always a case of going through Northern Ireland to see as much as we could you know I remember when I first started to drive one of the first places I went to was Newry because I wanted to experience the idea of driving in a different country Michael and just kind of coming across a different type of road and everything so you know it's never been a place that I've always kind of said oh I wouldn't go up there and I think prior to Brexit I mean there was a lot of cross border tourism I mean it was huge at one point do you think that the Good Friday Agreement is still a a workable concept in the light of what Brexit's happened and as I said we don't need to go into Brexit because it's absolutely happened but do you think that it's possible to keep the Good Friday Agreement together because I don't know about you Michael but I think it was working beautifully I mean, obviously, it needed tweaks along the way, and that happens. But there were probably tweaks that needed to be done between, you know, the people that it was affecting.
2: Yes, I mean, I'm a supporter of the Good Friday Agreement, and it's not popular with unionism to say that. I mean, you get a, <laughs> you get a lot of abuse for saying that, but I still support the Good Friday Agreement. I want to work together with my neighbours, and uh, yes, of course, it needs reformed. I mean, it's a very it's an old document now, twenty you know, over twenty years anyway. Uh, so it does need reformed. Uh, I do think it can survive, but here's the thing you can make all these reforms, you can have the best arrangements and in institutions in the world. There has to be a will to do it. That will has evaporated, sadly, because the protocol has completely driven a wedge through our politics. It's undermined the consent principle. And it's obviously put a border literally in the REC, it's driving up prices. So the protocol does need to get sorted. Now, where the UEP differs from the DEP is, the UEP would say we can still have Stormont. And we can deal with the protocol at the same time. The DUP says, no, we will get stomach whenever the protocol's finished. But that's a small difference. Uh, for me personally, uh, the protocol does need to get dealt with so we can finally move on and never hear the word again.
0: <laughs> yeah, and but I think the, the other issue is, of course, that there is a balance of power with, between the DUP and, this, and Sinn Féin. But at the end of the day, I suppose the DUP don't like the idea of having a majority Sinn Féin rule. So, you know, we have to be honest. They're probably between them. I mean, I'm not speaking for your party here, but between them there is um there's something there you know as well as just you know about the, the protocol but maybe in a sense do you not need to look at say for the assembly to work that if you're talking about reform i mean maybe the assembly needs to be more coalition based so that you could bring in other partners like the uup as come in as they say a minority partner or is that impossible i i just see i don't understand the, the actual the makeup maybe you can ex- help me a little bit on that
2: so, so uh, the interesting thing about this is that so yes, obviously we need to get rid of mandatory coalition. It doesn't work. Uh, Unis would have been in favour of that uh, before the whole protocol thing. But nowadays, if you remove mandatory coalition, what you're then doing is you're sidelining the DEP, which is the largest Unis party. So then power sharing would not work. So uh, Unis and National have now switched because Unis are no longer in a majority. It's now Nationalism that's sort of edging up. So it's funny how things work out, you know. But let's just say
0: we had a situation where there was a co- cross-coalition. Would would you, as I say, a UUP member, would you entertain the idea of being in coalition with Sinn Féin? I mean, because you know that's kind of really working across the board.
2: Uh, well, the UUP. I mean, at the end of the day, Sinn Féin entered government way back whenever Trimble was in power. So I mean, it's not a new idea, just but certainly uh, nowadays. I mean, we we have to see first of all, what the programme for government is. We have to see. I mean, because we can't say yes to Sinn Féin and then not know what it is we're saying yes to. So we need to see the programme for government. There needs to be a genuine commitment to reforming Stormont because we'll all get back together again and all fall apart again and you know all that needs to get sorted out and we also need the protocol sorted out, because within unionism that's just too big an issue we're really doing it sorted. Of.
0: Yeah it's just it's kind of sad in a sense that you have this such a big divide isn't it and like you know Sinn Féin have this dead set they want to united Ireland they haven't made any secrets about that whatsoever and I can think I can safely say in the Republic of Ireland that there is a certain trepidation about that as well I mean you know there are people in the Republic of Ireland who I suppose if you you put the, if, you, if you went down to the main street in Dublin and you asked somebody, you know, a group of people, they'd all say they'd be in favour of a united Ireland, but they probably wouldn't say they'd like to do it right away. And I think that is the thing. I think Irish people down south know that it's not an easy task and that you'd find that when they get to the bo- voting booth. They might not be so keen to write yes to a United Treaty. So um, I think it's the same, you know, down here. We we do have a kind of a a trepidation about Sinn Féin. and, And as you probably know yourself, Michael, it's going to be a case where Sinn Féin are going to get into government. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Whether they come in as the lead party or whether they come in as a highly influential coalition party, it's probably going to happen. We're not going to see... The next general election in Ireland is is not going to see a Fianna fail Fine Gael uh, leadership battle. It's going to be Sinn Féin and whoever else finishes second place.
2: And you see, this is where I would try to maybe uh, see the positives here. You're going to have a Sinn Féin government in the Republic of Ireland and a Sinn Féin government up here in Northern Ireland. And the good thing is they're probably going to fight each other because there's going to be competing priorities.
0: You think to... so, really? I mean, I've never thought about that. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Go on. I'm there's... wondering what your thoughts are on that one.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I remember years ago, back when Martin McGuinness was alive, uh, Sinn Féin had initially agreed to welfare reform, but over the weekend, they changed their stance because Southern Sinn Féin came up to Northern Ireland and said, no, you're not doing that because that hurts them in the Republic. So uh, there's going to be, you know, Sinn Féin's going to be playing some Republican electorate up here. They're going to be playing an electorate in the Republic of Ireland. So there's two different uh, polarities, if you will put it that way. So I would say just let them get on fighting. But the form is they united against unism because there's this whole protocol. Uh, Obviously, uh, we need that election to take place uh, in the Republic of Ireland, and there may well be another election in Northern Ireland if... The protocols and so sort on, of,
0: Stanley. I think it might be onto something there because you know they Sinn Fein down here do get pulled up a lot on policies that they are trying to get pushed through in the Irish government, the Irish Parliament, and yet they kind of let it go in in, in the Northern Ireland Assembly. So you know they are trying to play two different um, codes. It's like you know their rugby league up, this, up where you are and their rugby union down where we are. So you know the two aren't exactly compatible. So yeah, it's a good point. I never actually thought about that before. Be in, it's certainly going to be interesting times to watch if parts of the one organisation get in they'll have to see how they can merge that but I still think at the end of the day that's that's like a short term pain that they'll have to endure because I think if they do get into government without a shadow of a doubt they're going to push for Irish unity and I'm wondering about what what's your perception up in, in Northern Ireland about Scottish independence because you know you you guys you know there's a great relationship going for, for back and forth there um, on all sides so you guys are probably uh, you know finger on the pulse a little bit better than we have down here and I'm wondering your, what's your thoughts on the impact of it if it should happen or maybe not happen
2: uh, so in scottish independence uh, i mean it's ultimately a matter for people of scotland uh so if they want to leave that's up to them uh certainly as units i want them to stay in terms of the impact it depends what scottish independence actually means so for example are they going to keep the currency Will the uk allow them to keep the currency uh will you keep the head of state where you're not so uh, we just don't really notice so much uncertainty Uh, in terms of Northern Ireland I still think Northern Ireland could function uh, in the United Kingdom because at the end of the day that's sort of what the UK is because ideologically uh, units in Northern Ireland are just committed to the UK so I mean you could throw millions of pounds at us and we still would be committed (laughs) to the UK
0: you know when Scotland goes independent I mean it won't be like the case when we were independent from the United Kingdom we became a kind of a three quarter independence and I don't mean that as, as a bad pun but like we were sort of this free state and it was only when we realigned our, our treaty sorry our constitution in the mid 30s that we we finally became kind of a fully independent state because we weren't allowed to join the you know, League of Nations or anything like that at the time And I'm wondering about Scotland's role as a, I think if they're probably going to go to be independent, they will probably try and go with the Euro, Michael, and probably try and get European um, membership fast tracked in. Uh, And that might, that might, you know, speed up their thoughts. But I mean, I think we all have to agree that the thing, the one thing about the push for Scottish independence is that uh, I think the result was 46 or something like that percent in favour, but that hasn't gone down. And I suppose that's something that the UK government can't ignore. But with regards to, say, Northern Ireland's relationship with Scotland, I mean, do you, do you find that there is a close relationship there? I'm just w- wondering about how how you guys what how you guys get on because, like I said, we we have a kind of a. Uh, a rosy relationship with them, but we don't, you know, we don't deal with them as much as maybe you do. And I'm wondering, in in Northern Ireland, is there a close connection with Scotland as a whole?
2: Yes, particularly in the I suppose the Scottish I suppose the Scottish parts of Northern Ireland, so up in Antrim and around even Portafoggy, you'd have Ulster Scots, you'd have uh, Burns Night. We would celebrate Burns Night here, that's still a big thing. And uh, there has been talk of the uh, Boris Bridge. We have a bridge from Larne extending to Scotland, which of course is. Impossible, you can't really do it. Yeah. But yeah, there is, there is a close relation with Scotland. But the problem is, the SNP are in charge. Back say ten years ago, it used to be Labour. well nowadays, it's the SNP. So I don't like the SNP, but I like uh, Scottish people. So I like <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, look, you know, that's just politics, isn't it? It's actually yeah. interesting that Northern Ireland celebrates Burns Night because I suppose this is something we're kind of missing out. I think as I get older, I feel like that there's a lot of cross cultural opportunity that the island of ireland and mainly scotland as well are failing to kind of grasp and i hope that whatever happens over the next 10 or 20 years you know before I, I i end up kicking the bucket is that we can kind of work on that a little bit more and maybe push the politics aside and work on the kind of cultural aspects of it i mean there, there's the whole issue about the irish language in northern ireland and just for our listeners sake uh, Sinn fein is dogged on getting having it come an equal sort of issue and uh, there are certain elements of the unionist community that don't want it but can't get away from And it's just like as well with Ulster Scots, you can't ignore that as a culture, as a part of your own culture. So do do you see and say, I know we're getting back to the future that we asked you that I asked you about. Do you think that in a culture terms, let's just imagine a say a situation where Scotland was independent right and then northern ireland did become united with ireland do you think that the preservation of culture at that point could be obtained and that the, the unionist culture could be made to feel welcome and comfortable is that or are you afraid that that might
2: change so is this in a united Ireland where the unionists to be comfortable yeah so yeah. um <laughs> it's a good question uh certainly we see ourselves as british uh, we see ourselves as Irish, as in, you know, say things like the Royal Irish Regiment, so we see that, but not Irish as in Republican, Irish as in Lord of Britain. Uh, we, could, could we ever become Ireland? Uh, I'm not entirely sure, because uh, certainly for me, I would be suspicious of Sinn Féin. I'd be suspicious of, you know, we've seen all those, you know, sectarian songs being played, being spoken about, you know, whether it's RUC, you know, police officers or unionists. So there would always be a suspicion. I think if there were a United Ireland, unionists would to be that minority, which would be constantly... Uh, I suppose, at the heels of the Irish government constantly trying to say, well, look, we need this to happen, we need that. And we'd probably be quite a nuisance, actually, we'd be causing trouble. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it makes you wonder why people want a United Ireland, because if they were a United Ireland, I mean, the Republic of France literally in fighting problems into the States, so it'd be interesting. to
0: <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, I would consider myself a very moderate person on that. If it kind of happens, it happens, but I don't want it to happen as a result of Brexit. You know, your culture has been here for quite a long time. And I sometimes that gets pushed under the carpet a little bit. I that's why I asked you that question because I think it's not asked enough. You know, do do you know? And as you, and as you just said there, from the practicalities of having, I say, a large minority of people who are predominantly feel themselves as not Irish, and they're in a country where they, you know, they have to, as you said, shout and be an, an annoyance. I would like to see a case where that's not. And I think if there was going to be such a situation, and I'm not saying there would be. There would have to be pre-legislation to make sure that there's kind of a, a veto in some way on some thoughts about that. So that your you know, your culture can have a real say rather than having, say, a voting say where you know you're never gonna get what you want through because you're always gonna be a minority. I don't I don't know am I answering, am I getting that across to you at all?
2: Uh, sort of. I mean, in terms of the veto, uh, we're probably getting to know if would not agree to units having a veto. That's something that they just don't want us to have. Uh, even in the protocol situation, they are trying to impose their will and their way on us. And that's largely why the DEPs left the uh, executive in that case. Uh, they refused our first minister. So uh, I think certainly uh, in terms of the whole thing, uh, I mean, if there were a United Ireland, I mean, personally, I would still say in the country there'll be some units who actually would go... To Britain, uh, I would still be in the country but certainly I'd be very cautious about making sure that I may have my rights, that I am respected and the problem is I don't think it would be respected in certain aspects because I do feel the Irish language, Irish, it is weaponized up here, uh, there's obviously the sporting divisions, GAA and all of that so it, it just sort of depends I just I, I don't think I'd be respecting United Ireland because I do feel it's Republicans wanting to get revenge on units now sadly. <laughs> Look, I can, I can totally understand
0: you feeling that way, that is normal in my my opinion you know if you if you've experienced that it, the funny thing is michael i mean maybe i'd love to maybe meet up and show you some stage what what dublin's like we don't talk about stuff like that that much i know you might see it on twitter and you might say that's that could be the case but it's not really and i think i think you'd be surprised a lot of people down here in ireland uh, you know south of ireland we're just kind of we just want to kind of get on and you know do all the things that we do like jump on Ryanair flights and ground the you know europe and have a trip on a holiday take a weekend up in belfast and visit the titanic experience and i think there's less of a um you know that that maybe that rhetoric that you're you're experiencing down here so i, I can only hope that, you know, if it does happen, um, that we would be as welcoming as possible. Because I was talking to a lady this morning in another podcast about uh, she's from Ukraine and, you know, the welcome that she's received in Cork. And I think, you know, I think what we both came to the conclusion is that Ireland are pretty good at welcome. So let's just say if it, it, I mean, it might never happen. And like I said, I, I was never here to talk to you about that anyway. I was just wondering about your own personal feelings and how, how, how welcome you think it would be. So hopefully, hopefully we, that we would be, you know, welcoming. But look, at the end of the day, even if it doesn't happen, the way I see it is that you're, you're the future of Ireland, the island of Ireland. And I still think what you're doing is it's just really exceptional. And um, um, I can imagine a day when you will probably be elected to whatever parliament you're representing. And I think I think it would be a great plus. And I'm not just trying to say that now, because, as I say, it's very, very easy to be the conservative and it's not easy to be the reactionary. And I think, you know, you're really great that you've actually gone ahead and been the reactionary at the same time, you know, and you're not trying to force anybody away uh is that a date i just want to finish with this one here because i'm really curious to find this about you is it a daily struggle to say to them not to say to them going you know f off i'm sick and tired of all you people having to go on me or do you just have this kind of incentive and if so where does it come from
2: i suppose the incentive is um i'm inspired just by uh i suppose i i, I love politics and i'm incentive um, the incentive comes from money to just change things for the better honestly uh, so whether it's LGBT rights, it's always proving that an LGBT unionist can make it, that it can be accepted, that you can be uh, part of the gang as much as anyone else. Uh, so within unionism, uh, certainly that's something I want to change. And of course, I'm going to come up, come across opposition, but I'm nearly 30 I'm not a, I'm not a shrinking pilot now, and I can hold my own. And in many ways, you know, whatever happens within unionism, I mean, within unionism is talk about... It could all merge or whatever who knows I'll still be around I'll be, I'll still be waving a union flag and I'll still be making a case for the union
0: brilliant and that's what democracy is all about at the end of the day and look the youth are the great people for just moving forward and leaving aside the bad parts of it and I think it's brilliant what you're doing and uh, my last question is and I always ask this to the same you know at the end of every podcast regarding what you're reading or watching at the moment is there anything interesting that you're that you're having a read of or looking at
2: uh, i suppose uh, in terms of reading uh, the recent book i read was actually jamie bryson's book it was, it was it was it was okay but i suppose in terms of watching now just can uh, we just
0: explain who jamie bryson
2: is because a lot of people wouldn't know who that is jamie so they, jamie bryson is a lawless activist in northern ireland uh he gets more coverage probably than most unionist politicians. Yeah. Uh, he won't be elected, but uh, basically he's a lawless activist. He, he writes books. He do tweets. Uh, so I read his recent book. Where, I mean, it's more of the same stuff. I mean, there's nothing new in the, in the book. Uh, and t- in, in terms of uh, watching, I sort of watch a lot of documentaries. And uh, in terms of uh, over things, I i be mostly a video gamer, so I'm somebody who plays video games. Brilliant, At yeah. More than i am for a lot of classic games.
0: <laughs> yeah. Can I just go back to Jamie Boyson just so to yeah, clarify? He he's kind of he would be kind of uh, very ultra conservative, wouldn't he?
2: Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, very, very. very <laughs> yeah. Cool. So I mean, like, if like, did you read that book just to kind of get inside his
2: mind? Yeah, I mean, I wrote a dissertation on lawlism way back from university, so I still have a, a research interest in lawless, So I do like to try and keep myself up to date, but yeah it's the same old stuff we treat out all over again. It's, it's the yeah. same stuff just
0: in a book. <laughs> yeah, I know. And look, at the end of the day, we're laughing, but it's sad that we have, you know, that sort of ultra-conservatives. And then, of course, as you and I know this, it exists in every single corner. It doesn't matter where or what sort of background, whether you're left or far right or central or whatever, there's always these people who kind of seem to love the sound of their voice, Michael. I don't get that from you because you know what? When I've been talking to you, to you for the last, say, 40 minutes now, your answers are pretty you know they're not long and winding and it's all about you know me and what i want to do and what i feel and what i have and i think that's very refreshing because you know you you uh, your answers are very straight to the point and and you know there's no waffling so uh, i
2: think that's great to have in, in politics thanks I, so. I mean certainly I only, I only write articles or tweet when I have something to say and you know, honestly and at the moment there is an awful lot happening over that politics so hopefully in September I have more to say
0: <laughs> well, I don't think you I don't think you're too fond of the sound of your own voice which is the best way to be because you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I tell you I've years of experience doing podcasting and unfortunately I've had to hone myself in you know I, I do love the sound of my own voice it's probably the Irish person in me I don't know what it is but uh, it's, it's brilliant and it's refreshing to talk to somebody in politics right who is not just going on and on and on about what they feel they think is right so yeah look read about Jamie Bryson but at the end of the day I don't think you're anything like him where can people find out more because I know you're very active on Twitter so what's your Twitter handle?
2: Uh, my Twitter handle is Commander MP, mm-hmm. and the reason it's Commander MP it comes from a video game, and it's my initials, Michael Power. <laughs>
0: okay. No, do you know? I was actually curious about that, and the ignorant fifty-year-old me wouldn't have a clue about that. So I was wondering what that was. So let's clean that one up.
2: Twitter is really what I use. I use social media, and Facebook, and Twitter, and all that stuff.
0: <laughs> so you remember the Ulster Unionist Party, and Doug Beattie is your leader as well. Now you know Doug is a, is a man who likes to bat in the centre. He's one of the most centre um, Unionist politicians I, I've.
2: Oh yes, I mean, Doug would be sort of get the guy who'd be, you know, probably maybe centre right. Eunice, it'd be quite representative of Eunice. It's just the problem is you need to try and get the UEP as a feel go actually win seats and unfortunately we're not at that stage yet but certainly Doug's in it for the long haul and he is uh, wanting to expand our representation he is a good guy and he does want to work hard for people
0: you know we could talk about so much more for the next two or three hours but you know that's the way it goes with the time here so Michael thanks so much for talking to me today
2: yes thank you very much thank you
0: and uh, thank you to all out there listening to Comfortable Spot today we will see you real soon take care y'all bye bye